Good morning and welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. I'm Rabbi Stephen Gart. As listeners of our show know, each and every week, I uh, invite you to share with the weekly Torah portion known in Hebrew as Parashah that will be read in synagogues throughout the Jewish world and to uh, share with me the insights of our guest uh, Darshan, our guest commentator. This week's parasha is known as Shalach or Shalachlacha, which means you shall send. It is found in the book of Numbers, beginning chapter 13 uh, through the conclusion of chapter 15. The beginning of the story is, of course, well known. In the story, Moses sends 12 spies to the land of Canaan. He gives them very specific instructions as to what to look for. Forty days later, after scouring the land, they return carrying a huge cluster of grapes, which becomes the symbol of the state of Israel's tourist organization, a pomegranate, and a fig. They report that the land is lush and bountiful. But suddenly, ten of the spies warn that the inhabitants of the land are giants and warriors, and more powerful than they themselves. Only Caleb and Joshua insist that the land can be conquered as God has commanded. There is, of course, a response to this. The people weep that they would rather return to Egypt rather than confront these giants and warriors, and God decrees that Israel's entry into the land shall be delayed 40 years during which time the entire generation that has come out of Egypt will die in the desert. A group of remorseful Jews storm the mountain on the border of the land, as if to say, you cannot keep us from the promised land, and they are routed by the Amalekites and the Canaanites. The Torah portion then takes a fairly significant turn and the laws of Nisachim, the meal wine and all oil offering are given, as well as the mitzvah, the commandment to consecrate a portion of dough known as challah to God when making bread. A man violates the Shabbat by gathering sticks and is punished by death as the Torah has indicated earlier. And now the Torah portion ends with an interesting commandment that has been manifest throughout the Jewish ages. God instructs the Israelites to place tzitzit, fringes on the four corners of their garments, 
so that they should remember four corners with uh, fringes as a reminder to fulfill all the mitzvot, demand divine commandments. A Torah portion chock full of interesting narrative and one very powerful commandment. With me this morning is Rabbi Joshua Goldstein, who is at this point uh, the rabbi of Sharei Hayam and the Chai Center. Both of those congregations are in New Jersey. For 30 years, he served as rabbi of Temple Sharei Shalom in Springfield, New Jersey. He is an ardent Zionist and a member of the rabbinic cabinet of the Association of Reform Zionists. He is on the rabbinic advisory of Camp Harlan, the camp which services Pennsylvania for the uh, uh, reform movement. And he is noted for his work in interfaith. And in 2000, he was awarded the Honorary Doctor of Divinity by the Hebrew Union College Jewish Institute of Religion. And Rabbi Goldstein was ordained with me nearly 45 years ago. Rabbi Goldstein, it's a pleasure to welcome you again to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. Hi, Rabbi Garden. It's good to hear you. Can you hear me okay? Yes, I think we're recording well. Thank you. Great. It's, this is like the fourth time, I think, that I've been had the privilege of being on your program. It really is a joy for me, uh, number one, just to reconnect with you. You're such a, a dear and, and personal and longstanding friend of mine and colleague, and certainly to be a part of this wonderful program that you have uh, established. So uh, thank you for the invitation. Well, thank you. And I'm so happy that you're able to uh, share your learning with the listeners. So let's begin um, with the very powerful story of the spies uh, and break it down for us and help us understand what this story is about and what the uh, real uh, insight here is. Happy to do that. I thought you gave a great overview yourself, so I'm just going to add a little few points to it. Let's, let's put this in the context of, of the season, though. We, we Jewish Jews have just come off a time of what's often called the season of memory. So going back a month or two, we had Yisker or memorial services at the very end of Passover, and then uh, three or four very contemporary observances, Yom HaZikaron, a day of memory for Israel's fallen soldiers, Yom HaShoah, Holocaust commemoration. Uh, Shavuot was the Jewish holiday that we had about three weeks, two weeks ago, I guess, and that ended with the Yisker memorial services. So my point is to say that coming into this season now where we can sort of take a deep breath, relax, and really focus on these Torah portions and not concern ourselves too much with, well, there's a holiday coming up. That There's no real major holidays coming up. So this is Shalach Lecha. Uh It is, uh, as Rabbi Garten said, it literally means send forth or even send yourself 
forth or send for your own sake. I'll explain you know, where I'm going with those translations in a moment. But we're looking at Numbers, the book of Numbers, chapter 13, through most of chapter 15. And what we see there are that Moses initially sends out the scouts, as Rabbi Garten said, to look over uh, the land of Israel. And after 40 days, they bring back the report, which is a mixed report. On one hand, the scouts are unanimous in saying that the land itself is wonderful. And they use the phrase, Eretz Zavat Chalav Udabash. It is a land indeed flowing with milk and honey. It's very fertile land. Uh, Which parenthetically is where the term land of milk and honey first finds itself. Right. So that plus, you know, they, they talk about you know, some of the land is hilly and some of it is a plain and, and uh, mountainous regions, things like that. And they're very impressed with the look of the land. Now comes the other uh, the, the other side, and that is that they say, however, we saw people there that are incredibly intimidating. And we, we got the feeling that that was going to be such a challenge that maybe this idea of going into the land of Israel may not be such a great idea. So the, again, a twofold kind of report, the land is great, the people may be very hostile to us. And then two people, Caleb, C-A-L-E-B, one of the scouts says, um, we should do it anyway. Ki yachol nuchala is his Hebrew phrase. We can overcome any obstacles. So Caleb is saying, basically, we have it in ourselves to overcome whatever issues or obstacles we see. Then Joshua, well known as the attendant to Moses, speaks up, also one of the scouts, and says, in addition to the fact that we can do this, God is with us as well. God will help us to enter Eretz Yisrael, the land of Israel. Still, the people resisted the, the, the idea, and God punished the people, as Rabbi Garden said, with 40 years of wandering. So that's one part of this interesting Torah portion I want to speak to. And, and immediately, I don't know if Rabbi Garden has this, this trigger, but I do, uh, it, it, for years of being a congregational rabbi. So what if I had a bat mitzvah or a bar mitzvah student with this particular Torah portion, what about a speech? What would the Bar Bat Mitzvah actually speak about in trying to apply some of the uh, words of the portion in, in, to, in, a, in a relevant way to his or her life or to life in general? Um, typically, and first of all, not too many Bar Bat Mitzvahs have this Torah portion because it falls in the middle of the summer often. Uh, now it's June. Okay, there may be some. But if it was a portion in July or August, you know, people don't typically have barbat mitzvahs. Right. And for, for the listeners, what would um, be a mitigating factor that would move the Torah portion to being read later in the year if it was a Jewish leap year? If there had been an additional month of Adar around March added to the calendar to uh, compensate for the unique nature of of the uh, solar lunar calendar, which is the basis for the Hebrew calendar. I want to just uh, interrupt not only with that piece of information, Rabbi Goldstein, but before you speak to uh, the challenges, perhaps you could explain to the listener um, why the Israelites are so um, reluctant 
to trust God at this point? Yeah, if I, you know, I'm sure there's a gazillion interpretations. The one that, that appeals to me is the historical one. Our people came off of a 400 year experience of slavery. And during those years, I'm sure they cried out to God and they felt that there was no God. So my point is maybe their reluctance um, has to do with not having that same trust in, in, in God that uh, perhaps they had prior to the experience of slavery. So, you know, I, I sense that is the part of it. But it's also that they were so used to their way of life, even if it was as slaves in Egypt, that now making a big jump is is hard for them. It, it reminds me, Rabbi Garden, of the the uh, challenges that many of us are facing now that we hopefully, in Emir Hashem, God willing, are getting beyond the COVID uh, pandemic and the challenge of getting out there again. And a lot of us are feeling like, you know, I, I, I was kind of comfortable sitting in, in my home and not having to interact with people. So maybe there's an analogy to that with that to the Israelites also. We were kind of comfortable. It wasn't great being a slave. But but to make this big leap of, of going into a land of our own, we're, we're reluctant to do that. So that's how I would respond to that question. Okay, thank you. Um, and let me take you back to where I interrupted, and that was how you thought a 12 or 13-year-old child might respond to this narrative. Sure. So uh, it, Mr. and Mrs. Barbab Mitzvah have their Torah portion here, and and um, their rabbi says to them, so what do you want to speak about? Here are a couple of ideas from the Torah portion, but typically what would jump out, I think, is what we just described, the the scene of scouts bringing back reports, the reluctance of the people to take on a new stage in our story by going into the land of Israel. And in my experience, this lends itself to a 12 or 13 year old talking about the dynamic of taking some risks in life. And often that bar mitzvah student um, speaking to 100, 200 people for the first time, including family and friends. Hey, there's, there's a risk with that. You're being asked to sing in front of these people. You're being asked to read a different language and and um, and show off your, your Jewish bona fides in, in these ways. That's always a, a risk in some ways, no matter how well you're prepared. It's, there's tension involved with that. But I was going to go on to say that Barbat Mitzvah might also speak about how some, in some parts of their own lives, they've been asked to take risks, even if it's, I don't know, going to, to summer camp for the first time, or if it's uh, whatever stage in their lives that they, they're, they're trying out something new. And, and hopefully the Barbat Mitzvah student will be saying uh, to his family or her family and friends, this Torah portion reminds me that life is made up of risks sometimes. We need to think about what would be a responsible risk for us to take and what would not be a responsible risk to take. And how do we make that decision? Well, if you're looking at this Torah portion, maybe you're saying my decision is bolstered by feeling, number one, blessed by God. 
that I have a sense that God is with me as I make these momentous decisions. Um, as the Torah, as, as um, uh, Joshua was saying in his report. And maybe they can extend that, Rabbi Garten, by saying also, I feel that my decision and coming to a, whatever crossroads in life or decisions they have to make is also bolstered by the fact that I am, that my ancestors, my parents, my grandparents, and going back, um, are, are with me also as I make these decisions. And that is helpful. I, I immediately think of our grandparents, so I'm talking about my generation, coming out of Europe. And, and in my case, they, they left years before the Holocaust, but I'm sure leaving was a traumatic decision to make. And, and certainly so it was for, for so many of our ancestors. So these are all examples of the risks, perhaps, that a Barbat Mitzvah student might, might talk about in trying to relate to this Torah portion. Uh, I'll give you one or two more examples, Rabbi Garden, but feel free to, to come in. Any well, I, I, in, in light of what you were saying about risk-taking, yeah. I'm always struck by the verse, which I guess is um, um, verse 33, um, which is, and there we saw the Nephilim, yeah. the sons of Anak, mm -hmm. who come of the Nephilim. So for the listener who uh, may not know, the Nephilim are a less than easily identified group that's associated in the book of Genesis as giants. Um, and then the spies, the 10 spies say, we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. As if to say, we did not see ourselves as worthy or capable of um, conquering the land, worthy of the land, worthy of conquering it, and so they must have seen us. And I'm wondering, as you were speaking about a young teenager, how much that notion of self-respect and self-perspective uh, plays an important part in their life and perhaps the life of even uh, anybody, that how we present ourselves to the world is often how the world sees us. Great insight, Rabbi Garden. Absolutely. It, it is, it's so um, interestingly connected to the lives of our teenagers and beyond that, to, to almost at any stage in life, too, but especially for teenagers who are just trying to figure out who they are and, and what is my place in the world. So one of the questions that's provoked is from that portion that you, you mentioned, um, that if it says, you know, we saw these people there and they seemed like giants and we felt like we were grasshoppers and in, in comparison. And so it must have been for them, too. Well, number one. The question that, that presents itself is, how do you know how they felt about you? You are projecting your, your fears, your, your anxieties uh, on, on someone else, but who may not have that kind of uh, feeling towards you. So maybe coming to an understanding that our projections are not always um, accurate, and maybe we should not if we can just strive to get beyond that and to feel good about ourselves and and not to always put ourselves down, 
but to recognize that we have um, so much substance in our own lives that is sources of strength for us that we don't need to to project. Oh, they must feel like they're, that we're grasshoppers, or they're, you know. I kind of felt like I was a grasshopper in relation to them. That applies to so much of our teenagers' life, going to high school and and going to school, and whether or not you're part of the popular group or not part of the popular group. You know that that applies there wonderfully, I think. And I'm going to say this again. I think it also applies to this wariness that I'm picking up on a lot of people's parts about getting out now that the pandemic again, God willing, is almost over and and feeling, you know, um, you know, wary about getting outside now. Um, so maybe this sense of being not as good as we could be or lacking in self-esteem or whatever it might be applies to our lives, too. And I think the Torah may be telling us um, that that we are all children of God and that we all have something really important to to bring to the world and do not do do not be trapped into the thought that um i'm not sure how i feel about myself i'm not sure how others feel about myself um so these are all ideas i think that come really well from from this torah portion and i'll just add one other thought in in a very pragmatic way in my own rabbinate i'm sure in yours too rabbi garden when we talk to 12 and 13 year olds or teenagers, a lot of our talking was about their future as Jews. And that meant that we needed to get real pragmatic with them. And what was the next stage in a Jew's life beyond bar bat mitzvah? Typically was post bar bat mitzvah studies, but also was the thought of trying to encourage our students to get to Israel, to see, to be privileged to be in Israel and in our Jewish homeland. That also was a risky proposition to um, promote to our teenagers. But I think this Torah portion tells us, Ki we can overcome any obstacles. Don't be burdened by what you think others think of you, but instead recognize the, the blessings that you, that you have within you. And the last thing I'll mention about this too is it says not just shalach, send forth, but it says shalach lecha, as in send forth for your own sake. In the context of the Torah, it was saying to Moses, send forth spies to go into Israel and to bring their reports back. But shalach lecha also says send forth for your own sake, for your own benefit. See what the Well, I, I, think, I think you've hit upon something very uh, significant, and that is that the Jewish people wandering in the desert, confronting their covenantal responsibilities, are also confronted with the notion of peoplehood, peoplehood based on the land. And the Torah portion says no matter how hard things are within the land, it is the land that is part of our inheritance. Um, and so while we don't want to enter in to 21st century conversations about the land, we do want to acknowledge that here in the book of Numbers, the notion that this is a promised land, that it will be part and parcel of the covenantal relationship is emphasized with great clarity um, now, I do want to make sure, because I know that it's important to you, 
that we turn to the end of the parasha, where we have a series of mitzvot, uh, commandments, uh, behaviors that connect the observant to God, uh, enunciated. And most of those behaviors are uh, related to the sacrificial cult but and have been lost since the destruction of the temple in 70. But one of those commandments, tzvah of tzitzit, the mitzvah of fringes, remains an essential part of uh, the Jewish religious experience. So let's talk about that uh, at the moment. So how do you understand the uh, longevity of commitment of that particular behavior? Yeah, seat uh, seat for, for our listeners means literally fringes, and it refers to the bottom part of the talit, the prayer shawl that Jews often wear, uh, especially for uh, prayer services. Um, and, and why has that, you're asking Rabbi Garden, seem to have a longevity to it, whereas the other, some of the other uh, observances have not? Um, I think maybe very simply, that um, we, that like so many other people, we Jews also have our special clothing, our special ritual objects that are very significant to us. I know, I, I think I mentioned this last time I was on a few months ago, that I had just bought my wife, Sally, a new talit. She'd never had one, a new prayer shawl. And she was so thrilled with that. And me, I, I'm, I must have 20 of them. Because I'm always on the lookout for a tali that's that's special for me, so maybe that all suggests that there is um, some some appeal to having special Jewish clothing that transcends all the generations. So the 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 background to all this is in Numbers chapter 15, where it says God said to Moses, "Speak to the Israelites and instruct them to make for themselves fringes on the corners of their garments throughout the ages." Um, this has such a, a significance right now, I think, um, because we are living at a time, sadly, when pockets of our population are experiencing anti-Semitic behavior. Um, and, and the question that is, that is provoked is, should I go to an outside wearing a kippah, a yarmulke, or a talit even? You don't typically wear a talit in public. But it does suggest, are there limitations? And it's very much connected to the question of risks that we spoke about in the earlier segment of the, of the Torah portion. That is there, can we take responsible risks? Should we not wear a, a yarmulke uh, when we go into public, uh, go out to the public or not? I think our tradition is basically saying to us what it's said before. The risks are important. They're part of our growth. Um, be responsible about them. But in this day and age, maybe it's important to show solidarity with our people as well. And, um, and if that means I'm going to put on a kippah because we're, our people are going through, some of our people are going through difficult times. And I want to show my solidarity that way. I think that's, that's a statement that is very appealing for a lot of people. Well, you, you've, uh, I think, helped our listeners uh, understand the power of Jewish ritual items 
and you've helped our listener understand that it, when it comes to uh, the Torah, some of the rituals are identity formation. The wearing of ritual garb is a means of identity. And even those Jews who may not worship on a regular basis are known to wear uh, the Star of David or a mezuzah around their neck and perhaps to wear a uh, yarmulke, a kippah, as a primary uh, statement of their identity. My guest this morning has been Rabbi Joshua Goldstein of New Jersey, who's helped me uh, explore Parasha Shlach Lecha, the Parasha in Numbers. I want to thank him for joining with me. You can hear a uh, broadcast on the website of chri.ca or as a podcast on iTunes for Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten saying shalom and have a good day. Behold.